Tyler's message this morning is looking into uh, God's mirror. Sometimes pastors get voted out of their church. And, they, and I've known pastors. I knew a pastor up north that went on a sabbatical, come back, and they, they wouldn't let him come back. <laughs> just a, you want to stay away, just have that. I'll go pack your trash and hit the road. So that, Anyhow, this, this pastor gets fired from this church, actually. They let him go. They voted him out. So the last Sunday night he was there, that Sunday morning, he says, you have to come back tonight because we're having kind of a, a funeral, actually. So they were curious, so they all came back, and uh, when they walked in the church, they saw this, sitting at the front. Of course, they were, man, who's in that, who's in that casket? So the, the title of the message is, This is a Dead Church. And he proceeded to tell them that in this casket in front of the altar area, there was some, a person in there that they would be able to view later. So he goes through this message, and how the church was dying and nobody wasn't really doing anything or whatever. And at the end, he goes down and he opens it up and has everybody file by. And when they filed by, they looked in and there was a full-length mirror in the bottom of that casket. So he said the dead person's in the casket. When they looked in, they saw themselves. So I doubt if he was ever invited back for a revival or even to show up. There would have been armed guards at the door to keep him out, actually. So that, that, was a, that was a crazy way to do that. It was a way to end it, I guess. We're still in 1 Corinthians. And Paul wrote to the church because it was in trouble. There was sin in the camp. And as you and I all know, there's sin in this camp because we're sinners, we're sinners saved by grace, but yet none of us have reached perfection. So can you imagine in, in, a, in a body this size during the course of a week how many sins that we all commit? It's, I think it maybe would, would surprise us. I think it'd be a good idea that if you kept track of your sin and we'll put it on a slide and every week we'll show, say, well, today, you know, I, I think we're going to show Megan's sins and we'll get up there and anyhow, we're not going to do that, but, but here's the point. God, God knows that. And it had got to the point in Corinth that Paul had to go, or he had to write this letter. And here's the amazing thing about it. He, he doesn't infuse any anger in that or denunciation. Rather, he shows these believers what they are in the sight of God and what the purpose was that Christ died and rose again for them. He wanted them to, to, to look how God sees them, actually, and that they were worthy of God's name. And I think the same applies to you and I. So in the midst of all their fighting and failure, he reminds them of what and who they really are. Verse 9, you are God's field, God's building, not ours. And in verse 23, don't you realize that all you of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? They were God's possession. So why should they live on such a low level? Being that God's DNA was on them, being that they were people of God, what were they doing living down here when they should have been living up here? That was the point that he was, he was saying. The problem so often in the life of believers is to achieve our true character and to outgrow our babyhood, to move into spiritual maturity in which God 
uh, intends for, for us to live. We come into the life, this life as babies, and we grow and we mature, and hopefully we reach maturity. Paul said this in, in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to read this as a lengthy text, so bear with me, 4 through 23. When one of you says, I am a follower of Paul, and another says, I prefer Apollos, aren't you acting like those who are not Christians? Those are for people that won't listen to any other preacher but one. And I, that's, that's wrong, actually, and I, I appreciate people that have come through here and, and spoken, whatever. But you don't focus on the speaker you focus on who he represents, and that's what was happening here. They had, they had, uh, they had favorites. Like, you know, we trade baseball cards. So they, they would be like they had preacher cards, and they trade. Man, I, you know, I got Scott or, or, or whatever. I got Pastor Jeff. I, I don't know, but that's what I'm trying to say. That was a problem. And Paul says, who is Apollos? And who is Paul that we should be the cause of such quarrels? Well, we're only servants. Through us, God caused you to believe. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. My job was to plant the seed in your hearts, and Apollo watered it, but it was God, not we, who made it grow. The ones who do the planting or watering are important, but God is important because he is the one who makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work as a team with the same purpose, yet they will be rewarded individually according to their own hard work. We work together as partners who belong to God. You are God's field, God's building, not ours. Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Now anyone who builds on that foundation may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But there's going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. Judgment day for followers of Christ. Bema seat in the air, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but that's what he's alluding to here. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone else escaping through a wall of flames. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will bring ruin upon anyone who runs this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you Christians are that temple. Stop fooling yourselves. If you think you're wise by this world's standards, you'll have to become a fool so that you can become wise by God's standards. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. As the Scriptures say, God catches those who think they are wise in their own cleverness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are worthless. So don't take pride in following a particular leader. Everything belongs to you, Paul and Apollos and Peter, the whole world and life and death, the present and the future. Everything belongs to you, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. One of the marks of canality in this church at Corinth was hero worship. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. Loyalty was put upon mere men. And as Paul told them, and as I have told you, a thousand times in the last 20 years, do not put Eddie on a pedestal. You put Christ there. I'm a servant. I'm below him. Always was, always will be. It, I always, always try to say that because I know, and I know I, I want you to love me and I, and I love you and whatever, but put that in the proper perspective. You put Christ on that and make him your hero. Make him the one you adore. 
because I won't want to, but there'll be times that I'll upset you. <laughs> I'll let you down. I'll disappoint you. And, and that cannot affect your faith in Christ, even though sometimes we do. And we've seen great leaders fall, and it's affected us, but that's what happens when you put your, all your faith in a person and not in the person of Christ. Verse 9, he says, you're God's field. And we know things about farming in that field. There must be plowing and sowing and watering before the harvest. So Paul and Apollos, they planted the seeds, they watered it, they fertilized it. But they couldn't make it grow. Only God could do that. We are reminded of this in this clip about the parable of the sower that Christ told. Let's watch. Gospel of Matthew. Behold, the sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore I speak to them in parables. Because they seeing, see not. And hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Esaias, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand. And seeing ye shall see, and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted. And I should heal them. Blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see, and have not seen them. And to hear those things which ye hear, and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not. Then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. 
This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places, the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but doreth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some an hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I think as we, we listen to that, we can all find ourselves in that parable. 25% of the seed brought forth fruit and 75% was wasted. Whatever our state is this morning in our own spiritual walk, God is looking for the harvest. That one day the great husbandman is coming to take a harvest of our lives, and everything depends on how we receive that seed. Not upon the preacher or any man who has planted or watered. And then Paul goes in another mark of the church as in carnality, he calls them babies. They're, they're not growing up. He said, Babes in Christ, I have fed you with milk, not with meat, for you are yet carnal. He, he reminds them, however, that even that protracted spiritual infancy, you are still God's building. You are still God's child, regardless of where you're at on the continuum of faith and growth. Wherever you are in your walk, you're still God. You'll, you'll always be that, is what he's trying to say. So be reminded of who you are. All he had to do was lay the foundation. And he, he said the foundation is Christ. Verse 10, he says, Because of God's special favor to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it, but whoever is building on the foundation must be very careful. In verse 21, he says, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one we already have, which is Jesus Christ. So in verses 12 through 15, he's talking about activity in God's kingdom. Our motivation for serving Christ. What gets you out of bed on Sundays to come here? What, what gives you the, the inspiration when somebody asks a question or you need to say something as the Holy Spirit pushes you in, in, into, into saying that? What's your motivation for serving Christ? What's our obedience and our service for God on this earth which will be judged by Christ himself one day at the judgment seat of Christ? This judgment takes place in the air. After the church is, is taken out, many call it the rapture of the church. Uh, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to be with Christ. And then the next verse says, wherefore comfort one another with these words. That, 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 that's going to happen. We've talked about this before. This judgment, at this judgment, we'll suffer loss or reward, but we're in because we're already followers of Christ, and this is, this is our judgment. There's other judgments to come. 
1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, this is exactly what he's talking about. And the things that he mentions here are the things that you are, are, are building in your life today. Now, anyone who builds on that foundation, foundation being Christ, may use gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. There's going to come a time of testing at the judgment day to see what kind of work each builder has done. He's talking about every believer. Everyone's work will be put through the fire to see whether or not it keeps its value. If the work survives the fire, the builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builders themselves will be saved, but like someone escaping through a wall of flames. The old cliche, making it by the skin of your teeth. And you can almost smell the smoke on you because everything's burnt up and you're the only one. You're, you're left with your, your hands empty or, and you're, you're, the things that you put at Christ's feet are just a pile of ashes. God's Word's like a mirror. He helps us see ourselves as we really are. We see deep down every nook, every cranny, every crevice of our hearts. Nothing is hidden, absolutely nothing. All is laid bare to Christ. A lot of times when we sin, it, it's in private, whether it's a thought, action, whatever. We don't want anybody else to know that, but God knows it. You can't, you can't hide anything from God. So I ask you this morning, as your pastor and your friend, what kind of house are you building? Even in the last week, you have done something to build your spiritual house. Because verse 9 says, you are God's building. Every one of us that has bowed the knee to Christ, have invited Christ into our heart, you have become a building for God. Jesus is our foundation that we build upon, and that's the strongest foundation ever. He is the rock upon which we stand, and upon the solid rock we are building. You remember when Jesus said to Peter, now your name is Peter, Petra, small rock, small pebble. And upon this rock... Petros, which is Jesus' solid rock, this is where we're going to build the church, and it's going to be built on me, and you, as a smaller stone, are going to help do that. But we think about that in our own lives, that we see Christ as our foundation, but what kind of materials are we using? During, just during the past week, have you put any bricks in your spiritual house? Have you put in the window of prayer? Is there gold in your testimony for Christ? The silver of life that is radiant for the Lord Jesus, that people know who you are. The precious stones of victory over temptation. Is there submission to the will of God when the old nature rises up and wants to do something? And you say, help me, Jesus. No, I'm going to do, do what God wants instead of what's attractive to me. If we have chosen his will in our life, our building is being raised for the glory of God with gold, silver, and precious stones. But there's always another side to the story. But in another life, there's been much feverish activity. The pressure on the job, your pressure at home perhaps, or even in Christian work, and the life has become prayerless. There's been too much to do, too many things to cope with, there's been futility, irresponsibility, defeat, powerless. And the building has gone up, but it is just wood, hay, and stubble. I remember, too, Jesus talking about the man who built his house on sand and the one he built on rock. That's, that's another analogy in the Scripture. 
when the storms came, the house built on the solid rock stood firm, but this house that was built with shaky material on sand as a foundation, it fell. And that is the point that Paul is making here uh, as well. One day, our work is going to be put through the fire at the judgment seat of Christ. The Lord who shall judge in that day is the one who eyes, whose eyes, John tells us in the book of Revelation, are a flame of fire. I like to kind-faced Jesus. I, I actually, I have a picture in my office. He's smiling. I like that. This description, here's a whole other story. At the judgment seat of Christ, I think he will look like John described him when he was on the Isle of Patmos. He said, when I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. This is Revelation 1, 12. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. See, even he didn't recognize Jesus. He remembered the kind, loving Jesus. He'd never seen this Jesus before. His head, no, and standing in the middle of the lampstand was a, a, someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white, like wool as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. The building that you and I are building right now, the building of our character is going to pass under those eyes of flame of Christ. And if a man's or woman's work will abide in that day, then, says the record, he shall or he shall receive a reward. But if the eyes of our Lord, which are a flame of fire, shall find wood, hay, and stubble, it shall all be burned. This man will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as by fire. Verse 10 says we really have to be careful how we build because it is making a difference. You know, a lot of times we don't think makes a difference. I think in our lives everything makes a difference. I don't believe in luck. I don't believe in any of that. And I believe the things that happen sometimes, uh, they're for always for a reason. Paul has him look again into God's mirror again in verse 16 and 17. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you? God will bring ruin upon anyone who runs this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you Christians are that temple. Two different Greek words are used for temple here in the New Testament for the English word temple. One means the building itself, the Sherman House, the building. But the other one means the sanctuary of the Holy of Holies where the glory of God dwells. That is in the word here. We are His uh, sanctuary. We house his Holy Spirit. It's the place of his holy, awesome presence. The Old Testament called it the Shekinah glory of God. You could see it. That was one thing about the children of Israel. They could, they could take the flap up on their tent, and in the day, they would see this pillar of fire, or pillar of cloud, and they would know that that was God Almighty. They could physically or visibly see God. It wasn't in the flesh, but it was his presence, and they knew that was him. And at night, it was a pillar of fire. I know when I was, I was little, I always had to have a nightlight on. 
It, it was like, the, I, can't, I can't imagine that. Uh, uh, even if I lived, if I pulled back the curtain or the blinds and looked out and here was this giant pillar of fire in my front yard, knowing that that was God Almighty and that was his presence. Well, when the Holy Spirit came, that's, that's, that's what happened. He came in and he dwells in us. Verse 17, if anyone runs this temple, God will bring ruin upon him. One of the evidences of carnality in the church at Corinth, they couldn't get along. They had jealousy, strife, envy, division. They held grudges. So Paul was saying, this is not right. This is the body of Christ. This is where we're supposed to love each other and forgive each other just like that. But it, it wasn't happening there, and it was, it was causing problems because it, the, the church was dysfunctional is what he is saying. There wasn't any unity. If that's one thing that Paul hammered over and over and over and over, you guys got to get along. And when you're upset, you need to go to that brother or sister and say, hey, man, you upset me. We need to work this out. We need to pray about it. That is the, that is the way it's supposed to work because grudges are like cancer. They start and they masticize and they grow, and if it goes long enough, it will kill you spiritually. Paul has one more thing to say in 21 and 23. So don't take pride in following a particular leader. Everything belongs to you. Paul and Apollos and Peter, the whole world and life and death, the present and the future, everything belongs to you and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to you. So God wants his children to grow in Christ. Even though they were carnal believers, he, he wanted to keep reminding them of who they were and co- pointing at the kind of people that he wanted and intended them to be. We're God's field and he's looking for a harvest in our life and we are building on Christ's foundation. So how's construction going in your spiritual life? Have you been putting in the bricks and the windows of prayer, testimony and faithfulness? You've been looking at God's word as a mirror and allowing that word to help mold you. You know what? Building our spiritual house should be the most important activity in our lives. But sad to say, a lot of times, it's on the last of the list if you got time. It's supposed to be just the opposite. I want you to remember this. You are a sanctuary of God. You are intended to reveal the glory of God in your life. And that's a 24-7 thing. Most of all, you belong to him and every bit of you. And how can we live at such a low level of worldliness and carnality when we have such a Savior as Christ? So as you look into God's mirror right now, what do you see? That's what we should see. As hard as it is for us, and as many times that we have failed, that's what, that's what people see when they, they look at us. They, they, they should see Christ. If you need prayer this morning, I always say don't, don't pass that up. Pray. If you need prayed with, come, and you need Christ. And anyway, this morning, you know, there are people here that love you and would love to pray with you. Lord, I love you, and <laughs> I just thank you for putting up with us. And uh, help us, God, to really sense who we are in you and how much you love us, what you've sacrificed for us, and the grace that you, and mercy you've poured into our lives. Help us to grasp that this morning. And I pray here this morning that all of us here in this place leave with you in our hearts, 
and a better understanding of how you see us and, and how important our lives are in Christ. How important that is that we build this house because when we're under construction and other people see that, they, they see something. They see something in us. So I just ask your, your blessing on all these fine folks, Lord. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that we're honest as you squeeze our hearts. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.